Welcome to Masterminds and Maintenance, a podcast for those with new ideas in maintenance. I'm your host, Ryan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep. Each week, I'll be meeting with a guest who's had an idea for how to shake things up in the maintenance and reliability industry. Sometimes their idea failed, sometimes they made their business more successful, and other times their idea revolutionized an entire industry. Today, I'm super excited. We've got James Reyes Picknell on the show. James is co-founder and president of Conscious Asset and Conscious Reliability. He's a mechanical engineer who graduated from the University of Toronto and has accumulated over 40 years of experience in the maintenance and asset management industry. He's worked at Coopers and Librand, PwC, IBM, and his own firm right now, Conscious Asset, which is now over 13 years in business. Welcome, James. Welcome to the show. <laughs> oh, thank you very much, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I, actually, I just realized 13 years would be a few years ago. It's actually closer to 16 now. All right. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're doing, doing well uh, in that regard. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, though, and, and to talk with you. Well, I'm super excited. You know, the way that we always love to start these off is, James, if you could just share your story about how you got into this, into this industry, how you got your foot in the door with the maintenance and reliability industry, and a little bit more about your background as well. <laughs> sure. Well, uh, short resume maybe is, uh, is appropriate here. After, after I left university in, with mechanical engineering, I was actually in the Canadian Navy as a ship's engineer. And, and that's an operational engineering type of role. You're actually on the ships uh, operating and maintaining them. So uh, reliability becomes a, a pretty key focus because without it, uh, you could find yourself in trouble in the middle of the Atlantic bobbing around and, and nobody to, to help. So, so uh, reliability became kind of a key focus very early in my career. Um, and that was a real practical start in uh, in a career too, because it's very hands-on. So so when things break down, you're you're involved in the, in the maintenance work. Uh, you're running a, a proactive maintenance program. In that case, it's prescribed by the military, but but it certainly gives you a insight into what works and what doesn't. Uh, from there, I went to SO Chemicals uh, in or Exxon Chemicals, as it would be known in the U.S. Uh, and um, I worked as a machinery specialist, rotating equipment um, uh, with uh, their complex of seven petrochemical plants in, in Sarnia, Ontario, which is not far from Detroit. Uh, we um, handled a lot of materials that could either burn up, blow up, uh, uh, poison you in some way or give you cancer. So, so needless to say, reliability and keeping things from leaking was, was kind of a big deal. Uh, and keeping it running reliably, again, a big deal. Um, I, I worked with a, a very excellent uh, senior engineer there named uh, Fred Geithner, who's authored several books uh, uh, himself uh, on maintenance and reliability. And I learned a, a huge amount about reliability mathematics uh, from Fred. Uh, after that, I got into shipbuilding, uh, working on a, a, a naval ship uh, system for the Canadian Navy. It's, it's actually the ships that are now making up the, the backbone of the Canadian Navy. Uh, and they're actually starting to get a little old now, I have to say. But um, uh, we used uh, reliability methods to determine all the maintenance and support activities that were needed, operational practices, training, spare parts, everything was defined uh, from a starting point that was reliability-centered maintenance. And, and we were doing um, that reliability center maintenance work in the days before many people knew about it. The, the military was an early adapter of what was developed in the uh, aircraft industry. And then I got into consulting uh, with uh, Coopers and Librand, which merged with Price Waterhouse 
became PricewaterhouseCoopers, PwC, and then they sold the consulting to IBM. So all that time was in really in one company from my perspective, but several different names. Uh, and I was actually in the maintenance uh, management practice there. Uh, by the time I left, I was the uh, global practice leader for the, the firm's uh, consultants uh, in uh, various countries in North America, South America, Asia, uh, and Europe. And uh, and then I got out and, and formed my own firm. I I, uh, I got tired of the big big firm and all the bureaucracy and went out on my own. So so that's kind of how I got there. Uh, reliability and maintenance have been a theme throughout my entire career. Uh, and and you might argue accidentally. Uh, I, I had no idea I was getting into it at first. It just sort of happened, and and uh, one role very naturally led to the other. All right. Well, it sounds like you know you're still in it. You love it. Um, I'm curious, James, it's been, you know, a, a few years being in the industry. You've gone from, from working in the Navy to chemicals to starting your own business to consulting first for one of the biggest companies in the world as well. You know, over the past few years, what have you seen change over time? What have you seen evolve in, the, in asset management and reliability space over the past few uh, years and decades? Sure. Well, uh, knowledge is one thing uh, that has evolved. Um, uh, when I started my career, like I graduated in 1977, I suspect it's before you were born. And, and uh, RCM was just being invented in those days. So, so we, we've gone from, you know, th things being built big and beefy and, and uh, being fixed when they break to uh, very sophisticated approaches to forecasting what can go wrong and what to do about them to avoid the consequences of those failures. Uh, use of technology in industry and in, in maintenance has been uh, a substantial uh, uh, change uh, over the years. Needless to say, I started programming computers with punch cards. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, the internet started two years after I left university uh, and um, uh, computerized maintenance management systems came along somewhere during that career. I, I remember uh, when I was at SO Chemicals, we, we had a homegrown maintenance management system and the refinery next door to us had a, uh, uh, a manual based system on, on uh, Cardex and Rolodex type systems. Uh, so there's been big changes in technology. Today, you go from managing, uh, you, you know, with a, your computer, a, a small shop, all the way up to an entire corporation. Um, asset management has changed. Uh, the perspective on what we're managing, you know, went from looking after equipment and some technologies used in, in its maintenance to looking after uh, whole plants, uh, applying, you know, deploying this technology, and then doing it across multiple sites in corporations around the world in multiple languages. So, so I've seen that growth happening. Um, companies didn't used to focus as broadly as they do now. And, um, the uh, the whole focus of asset management's become standardized. Uh, you know, asset management when I got started was a financial term. Uh, today, it's got a number of different meanings, uh, and we actually have an international standard that's been out for several years, uh, describing what asset management uh, practices ought to be. So, so there's been changes in in almost every aspect of it, um, and I think the knowledge level that people have has changed. Um, you know, at one point we relied heavily on people's experience on specific pieces of equipment. Today. Um, a lot of those folks, um, frankly, my vintage <laughs> uh, and older, uh, have, have retired and, and uh, no longer are there to depend upon. So, so uh, people are more dependent on technology today. Um, 
both in detecting failures when they're occurring and in uh, managing the workflow that happens as a result of the notifications that occur when they do find a problem. So, so again, lot, lots, lots and lots and lots of change. Um, all right. The, the industry is nothing like it was when I started. Out. <laughs> <laughs> no more punch cards, huh? Um, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so, so James, you know, kind of piggy, piggybacking off of looking back at what's changed. I'm curious from your perspective, what are you most excited by going forward? What are you most excited by about the future of, of the maintenance reliability space and changes that will happen in the future? That's a good question. I, I honestly haven't thought too much about what gets me excited about it. Uh, I've always loved what I do. So, so just about every aspect of it uh, does excite me. Uh, one thing I've loved to do along the way though is teach. Uh, I, I've learned a lot, um, partly through making a lot of mistakes and, 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 uh, and, and watching the mistakes of others, of course. Uh, and and uh, I do a lot of training in my work, uh, helping my clients uh, understand how things fail, what they can do about them what they can do to avoid consequences, how to manage maintenance better, how to achieve the reliability that their assets are, are designed to achieve. And, and um, I, I think going forward, what's, what's kind of exciting to me is that there's a, a big change in the, um, I'll call it the staffing of the industry, if I will. Uh, the, the older experience group is, is either gone or leaving uh, very soon. Uh, the replacements are largely quite a bit younger and, and uh, there's almost a whole generation in the middle that's been been somewhat skipped hmm. and um, what I'm finding is a tremendous interest in the part of those getting into the industry to learn and and of course that plays well into my my passion for for being able to teach um, I, you know even though I've I've uh, been been around longer than a lot of them I I, I still pay attention to what goes on with um, the developments in the world of reliability in particular, um, but also a little bit in the technology side where, where you work. Um, uh, to, to me, as I described earlier, the computer systems are, are kind of the tool, uh, but you've got to use it well. Uh, and, and one thing I find is, um, you, you know, guys my vintage who didn't grow up with computers uh, tended not to trust them. So we're, we're a bit skeptical of what we find in them. And uh, I've seen over the years working in this industry that the data that people are collecting is usually pretty bad. The quality of it is, is not there and, and it's often not fit for purpose. So, so when, when younger folks get into the industry and they, they start trusting what's there in the computer systems, I, I have to caution them that look, you know, you know, a lot of what's in there is just not suitable. And, and uh, you, you know, you got to think about who collected it and how they got it in there and, and you begin to understand why it's such a mess. And, and I'm kind of looking forward to, um, you know, you know, changes with technology and the care in putting it in that I think will come with this younger, younger group of folks that are, that are uh, now in the field and, and, and uh, expanding their experience. All right. Well, I'm looking for, forward to that, that future as well, James. So you touched upon, you know, your love and your passion for, for teaching. And I think, you know, one of the ways that you've done this so well is through writing and through your book, actually. So, you know, I'm familiar and I'm sure several of us are, have, have seen or read your book, Uptime. Um, and I know that there's one part of your book that talks about the Uptime Pyramid of Excellence. So maybe it would be great to, to showcase like what that Pyramid of Excellence means to you and how you thought about creating that, that Pyramid of Excellence. 
Yeah. Well, uh, the, the, the Pyramid Act, to be honest, it's not my creation. Uh, my uh, co-author on the book, John Campbell, is the fellow who hired me at Coopers and Librand back in the mid-90s. And, and he actually wrote and, and published the first edition of Uptime. Um, now, I did the second and third editions. Uh, John and I uh, worked closely together, and, and uh, the first edition had been written for non-maintenance people. It was really for the production people that they could understand what to expect from maintenance. And, and un unfortunately, we found out that they weren't the ones buying it. It was the maintenance managers that were buying it, and, and they loved it. They said, this is the first time there's a book that tells me what I should be doing. Uh, so they were learning a lot from it, but they, they lamented the fact that it didn't have a lot of depth of detail how to do things. So, so John and I um, agreed we'd put together a, a second edition and have more of the, the how-to built into the book. And uh, not long after that, unfortunately, John got sick with cancer and uh, passed away um, and, and sort of left it to me to, to, to make my own, so to speak. And it took me a while to get going on that second edition, quite honestly. I kind of felt like I was messing with my, my friend's legacy, so to speak. But uh, once I got past that, I, I kind of took ownership of it and, and the pyramid evolved a little bit. It changed a bit from the first edition. It, it still had the same basic structure, but uh, um, I, I put it in terms that was a, uh, were a little bit more um, meaningful to me uh, and, and that I felt I could uh, convey better to uh, my customers going forward. So that's where that, uh, that that pyramid comes from. Now it's in three tiers. Leadership is foundational, of course. That's you, you're not going to do anything without some sense of direction. And and what I've found in 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 my consulting career is that people implementing changes really do have to have very senior level support and sponsorship for it. So active participation from people at the level of say VP operations or COO. Um, in one case, I've even had a, a CFO. Uh, in another case, a CEO, uh, very directly involved in the improvement efforts uh, in this, this sphere because they recognize the, the business value of it. Um, if you don't have that underlying appreciation of what this does for the business, uh, your change efforts tend to fall kind of flat. Um, so leadership to me is, is kind of key. It, it, having a direction, knowing where you're going with it, that's, that's what strategy is all about. Strategy is pretty simple, really. Um, People in teamwork, nothing's going to happen without them. So if you don't have good people, motivated people, um, knowledgeable people, uh, you, you're going to get nowhere. Um, teamwork, I find, is is the most effective way. Um, you know, teams are, are far more productive than individuals as a rule. Um, they take longer to make decisions, but once they make them, they they implement them far better. Uh, so I so teamwork to me is is kind of a again a foundational uh, element. Um, and we've seen some of the most successful companies, like, like, like say, Toyota, for example, with their total productive maintenance system. It's all based on teamwork. Yeah. And the, the essentials in that second tier are all the things that every maintenance person is familiar with, work management, materials, getting parts. The, the middle tier, those essentials, are all the things you must do to be really good at maintenance management. Uh, and, uh, and the better you are at these, the more efficient your, your uh, maintenance delivery will be. So, so uh, you, you'll be getting work done better. You won't be repeating work. Uh, you'll be getting it done quicker on schedule. Um, and, uh, and, and you'll be collecting data that you can actually use to manage the whole process in, in a meaningful way. That's where, where the systems come in. The top tier is about effectiveness, which in, in my books is all about doing the right work. Um, 
Now, uh, I, I live here in Canada and we're all familiar with shoveling snow off our cars in the wintertime. And there's a, there's a YouTube video of a gentleman that comes out of a building. There's cars in front of him and they're, they're covered in snow and he proceeds to use his briefcase and, and his, 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 I think a credit card out of his pocket to, to scrape the snow and ice off the car. And when he finishes it, he, he reaches into his pocket, pushes the button on his uh, starter and, and the uh, lights blink and, the, and, and uh, the, the, the horn sounds on the car in front of the one he just cleaned up. So he, he did a job as efficiently as he could uh, with the tools he had on hand, but he did the wrong job. So he was, he was efficient, but not effective. And, and, and that's kind of the way I look at the difference between those. So, so in the maintenance world, we've got to be doing the right work. And, and that means in, in my books, uh, being proactive about the work you do. So, so a heavy focus on reliability and sustaining it, uh, not just getting work done, but getting the right work done so that you're actually eliminating failures at their cause uh, or dealing more effectively with uh, the consequences that come when the, when the inevitable failures do happen. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and uh, so, the, so that's at that top level. Uh, I, I put it at the top because without uh, fairly efficient work management practices and, and processes, um, you won't be able to get your proactive maintenance program executed on time. And, and if you don't, you defeat the whole purpose of it. So that's why the two kind of go together. Um, and, uh, and, and effectiveness is, is on the top of, of that pyramid. You've worked with so many different businesses. Where do you see most businesses get the pyramid wrong? Where do most people... <laughs> go wrong in building out the right reliability practices at an organization? Yeah. Well, the worst ones don't even use the pyramids, so that, that's easy. Um, but uh, even where they do, and, and the, the, the pyramid in the book is, is quite well known. The book's actually a bestseller, and, and, and it's, it's rather well known, particularly in the English-speaking world. Um, uh, the biggest mistakes that I see are where, where the say the maintenance manager or the lead guy in maintenance will try to implement this thing on his own and, and he'll do it one piece at a time. It doesn't work. Uh, it, it's, it's designed, you've got 10 components to it. They're, they're interdependent. They, they work together. Uh, implementing just one on its own is, is never uh, fully um, effective. Um, you know, focusing, for example, on, on maintenance planning and scheduling. Yes, it's gotta be done. Uh, but uh, without, we're looking at the, the supply of materials through your storeroom, um, without looking at the PMs that are going to be implemented on its own, it's only going to achieve a very limited result. Um, and, and because of that, they'll get that limited result. They'll see, oh, well, yeah, there's an improvement, but it's small, it's incremental, and, and they give up. They, they kind of stop there. So, so not sticking with it is a bit of a problem and, and a piecemeal approach. If they go at it as a, like at that maintenance manager level too, they won't necessarily have the cooperation from the supply chain, from the operations people, uh, from human resources and maybe even finance. Uh, you know, they need those groups collaborating to make this really work. Uh, if you do it at too low a level in the organization, they, they rarely get that cooperation. Um, uh, certainly not across the board. So, so um, that's, that's probably the biggest mistake is, is um, you know, not addressing it as a, a, an initiative that's going to affect the entire site or the entire company. Just, just looking at it as a maintenance only thing mm -hmm. is, is really not going to have, it'll, it'll make some improvement, but, but it won't be as effective as it can be. 
what what is the solution there, James? Because we talk about this so often that it's so important to have upper management buy into proactive reliability best practices. But then at the same token, it's like to really invest in that is considerable considerable amount of time and money. Mm-hmm. Um, so commonly, like upper management doesn't want to invest in it until like there's some proof of value shown first. So it almost seems like a chicken and the egg problem. How do we solve this? <laughs> well, uh, a big part of it is is educate them. Uh, I I actually prefer to talk to very senior people rather than the maintenance people when it's time to be selling my services. Uh, uh, like I said, I've had CEOs, CFOs, COOs, VPs of operations. Those make a great target market for me because they will understand the business value. And um, I, it's actually quite a bit less expensive to operate reliably than it is to operate unreliably like by a big margin. Uh, just last year, I, I worked with a, a mining company uh, on the business case for making improvements in maintenance and reliability. And we were, we were looking at, I think it was six or seven different mines in the corporation. Uh, the combined cost savings annually from implementing these practices was about $100 million a year. That's just the cost savings. The, and the expected gains in revenue driven by the added availability, which came from having a more reliable operation, were nearly a billion a year across mm-hmm. those operations. Um, the cost to implement that um, would probably have been on the order of maybe $20 million over a couple of years. So, so it was a, a huge prize for a very, very small investment. Yeah. Now, in fairness, it was a mining company with a, a commodity that sells at a pretty good margin. Um, and, and these days with all these virus scares, uh, it sells at a really good margin. <laughs> um, and they haven't actually implemented it yet, oddly enough. Now, uh, I'm, I think they're missing out on a huge, huge opportunity in that particular case. Uh, other companies have gone ahead and implemented it and, and realized that the gains in and reliability lead to more ability to produce and produce at a lower cost per unit because your maintenance costs actually go down with a reliable operation. Uh, so the, the uh, dollars spent per unit of output go down. And, and um, the revenue generation that comes from it far outshadows the cost savings by typically an order of magnitude or more. Uh, so, so, I, I think where, where companies often get it wrong um, in looking at this as an investment is they, they think of it as they're, they're going to be investing in something that they're spending money on. Uh, and then they see it as an expense. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, maintenance in the accounting world is treated as an expense. But in reality, it's, uh, I, I prefer to look at it as an investment in your productive capacity. So, James, you know, you've got the, the pyramid for, for excellence what are some practical ways that our listeners can implement this model in their companies? Well, uh, first thing I, I think, and I've already talked about it a bit, is, is, is make sure you get your senior leaders on board. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you've got that, they won't, once they see that there's such a big prize, they won't let you off the hook. Uh, so, you know, as, as, as say a maintenance manager, uh, you, you know, or an asset manager, 
you, you probably won't welcome all that pressure, but you will get better results if somebody's riding your tail all the time. So, so I think having that senior level support is, is a key, um, a key thing and and uh, the other thing is is find a model and settle on it and follow it and I, I like the uptime one obviously uh, it works it's been in use for well over uh, I guess about a quarter of a century now come to think of it and 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 uh, it, it's been quite successful so it's it's relatively simple easy to remember and, and and quite logical to follow so so I think have, have some model that you're going to follow uh, talk to uh, first of all, understand what good good looks like. You, you need, uh, and I, I find um, with with a lot of companies, uh, there's a lack of knowledge of what good looks like in terms of maintenance practices. They just mm -hmm. haven't seen it. And if they're in a bad state themselves, a lot and a lot of people have been there for a long time, they think it's normal. Yeah. Uh, so so what I like to do is is uh, start with some training. I actually train people in the uptime model. It's just a couple of days. Uh, to give them a, an idea of what good practices are. Usually a lot of discussion, a lot of ideas being raised. As, as you're talking, people are having ideas as to what they can change. And uh, I, I actually have them write it down uh, on, on little uh, post-it notes, believe it or not. One idea per note is the way I do it. And, and um, uh, as we go through the course, these ideas collect, they, they gather up. And, and at the end of it, what I like to do is take those ideas and, and put them on a, on a whiteboard or on a, on a sheet of uh, craft paper on the wall. And, and as, the, as I put the ideas up there one at a time, I put them in groups, right? So, so one group will be whatever the first topic was. Somebody might say, let's do planner training. Okay, there's planner training up there. Somebody else says we need to clean up our storeroom. I'll put that on another spot. Somebody else says we need to teach management how to communicate effectively. That'll go on another spot. Fourth one comes up. It might be another management one. It'll go up with the previous management one. So, so what I'm doing is building clusters of these ideas. And typically you get on the order of about a dozen uh, of, of these nice little clusters of ideas and it's all their ideas uh, at the end of that exercise I draw a little circle around them give them names uh, uh, and the, you know that might be meaningful names like management communications and work management or sometimes really creative names like ABC um, doesn't matter uh, and, and then I, I give them all um, little red dots um, stickies and and I say go vote for them uh, pick yeah. the five that you think are most important and and um, they, they go up there they're not allowed to put two dots on one topic they, they have to pick five and uh, at the end of it you'll see very quickly where they see their top priorities are based on their own ideas what that achieves um, it, it gives them a sense of where they are and where they need to go it's prioritized the way they see it as being important, and it is based on some newfound knowledge on good practices. Yeah. So that is an amazing start on an improvement program. Each of those little clusters, starting with the one that's got the most votes, is a project. And, and just pick them off one at a time. Uh, so so it's, it's like eating an elephant, you know, one small bite at a time, you'll eventually get there. And, and this is how I suggest doing this. Don't expect results super fast. Um, you know, they're, they're going to be at it for a couple of years in all likelihood. And uh, some of the ideas will generate some quick savings and maybe some quick revenue gains. Uh, you know, I've got a couple of things I like to do when I'm working with a customer. Um, uh, if they've got a lot of chronic problems, uh, things that they know are real headaches, I come in and do some root cause analysis with them and 
Um, and, and we sort of tackle those problems because it frees up resources. It, yeah. it, it, it takes their attention away from the panics and allows them to think more proactively. I, I love that exercise. I think that's like very, very actionable. And I think also creates a lot of group buy-in as well. So oh, to does. all of our listeners, like that's a great exercise. If you haven't already done that, just to start, you know, it sounds like something that is low effort that we could start you know, as soon as next week. It sounds like. Oh yeah, <laughs> I, I build it right into the training that I that I offer. Uh, two days at the end of the two days, you've learned something. You've got a prioritized list of, of projects to work on. It looks messy because it's all in their handwriting and on sticky papers, but but. Uh, you know, it is entirely actionable and, and it's, it's something that, you know, people will look at and say, holy cow, this stuff isn't all that hard. And it isn't, none of this is rocket science. So James, being in the industry several years, several decades, what's something you wish more people knew about the maintenance and reliability industry? Uh, I, I honestly wish that the uh, business schools uh, would teach a little bit about the value of maintaining physical assets. Uh, they don't. Uh, engineering schools don't do it either. There, there is almost no training in maintenance. Um, the only training in reliability tends to be at the master's level. And I think there's only two universities in all of the Americas from North to South America that actually do it. Uh, a couple in Australia, there's, there's very, very few places where you can get educated. So, so people just don't know anything about it, right? Maintenance is what you do when something breaks in most people's minds. And, and, uh, and, and that's really just a small part of it. And, and uh, what we're really all about is, is providing reliable uptime, um, productive capacity in that uptime. And, and, and uh, businesses, I, I think the business leadership, the, those who've gone through the business schools, the finance programs, the, the operations people, the accounting people, they, they need to understand that maintenance is not an expense. It is a generator of real value in the business. And although it's, it's something they'd all rather do without, not one of them can do without it. it it's kind of like your body, right? Like if, if you don't take care of it, it will break down and you will die. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Um, when, when you're putting uh, oil in a machine, it's got to be clean and free of contaminants and, and no moisture in it. It's, it's like putting blood in your body. You would not add a dose of cholesterol with it if you didn't, if you knew that that was a possibility. So so if you think of, of your, your, your plant and your equipment, it's kind of like a body and it, and it has to be looked after, right? Or it will eventually break down and stop serving you. And, and uh, uh, people need to understand that. Not only will it not serve you, but it won't deliver the value it's capable of. And, and, and I think that's, that's what I see in a lot of places is, is companies are underperforming because they just can't get their assets running reliably. Absolutely. So that, that would be the thing to change is that, that knowledge of what we do. <laughs> I think we could all we could all get better at that as well, and obviously that's one of the big reasons for having this podcast here today. So, so James, you know, what other resources? Where do you go to continue learning? Where do you go to find more educational content? And where do you go for new ideas? Uh, well, I have a few myself. Um, <laughs> one, one, one favorite one is to stop calling a maintenance department the maintenance department. <laughs> Let's have reliability departments, and maintenance is just a piece of that that executes. Um, I, I think if we put the emphasis where it belongs, we might get better results. Yeah. So that was one idea, and I've, I've been kind of pound beating on that uh, or, or on, on, on the, uh, the soapbox on that one. 
uh, for maybe a year and a half now at a few conferences. But I do go to conferences. Uh, there's uh, there's uh, several. There's uh, here in Canada. There's the Plant Engineering Association of Canada. It it does an annual event. Uh, there's a, a number that I've participated in in Latin America, organized by uh, Noria uh, in Peru, Chile, Mexico. Uh, not not as many in the United States. I, I uh, honestly find that the conferences in the U.S. This is going to sound terrible coming from a Canadian, but they tend to be way too commercially oriented. They're, they're fun, they're flashy, um, but there's not as much substance. There, there are good speakers, don't get me wrong. There are some very good speakers, but I find the conferences themselves themselves tend to be almost too distracting. Um, and and uh, uh, that, I think, harms the learning process a little bit, but there are really good ideas. SMRP runs a really good one every year. Um, uh, there's a Reliability 2.0, I think it's called now, from Reliability Web. It's a good, good, good uh, conference. You know, I've, I've been in all of these, these events, and, and, and you learn a lot from those. Talking with people working in the field is, is probably number one place to learn. Um, I learn a huge amount from my own customers. Well, awesome, James. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and, and share all of your experience and knowledge with all of our podcast listeners. Um, James writes, obviously, he's got a few books. Check them out. Thank you again for, for, for joining us, James. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's Masterminds and Maintenance. My name is Ryan Chan. I'm the CEO and founder of Upkeep as well. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn or email me directly at ryan at onupkeep.com. Until next time. Thanks so much, James. Thank you, Ryan. Take care. It's been a pleasure.